Our sermon passage today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4, from verse 9 through 22. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Putins and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So now, our Father, we come to your word this morning. We don't come because we want our heads filled with facts. We don't come because we want to win at Bible trivia. We don't come because we want to know more details than the person sitting next to us in the pew. We don't come because we want to win arguments. Lord, we come because we need to see you. We come because we need our minds and our hearts to be attuned to your desires for your world. We come because we are selfish. We want what we want, when we want, how we want it. And you saved us so that we would live differently. And we come to confess we need your help. We come this morning because we believe you are good. We come this morning because we believe you save. We come this morning believing that you indeed will never leave us and will never forsake us because we are in Christ. We come this morning wanting you to be exalted. We come this morning needing your help. So Lord, by the power of your Spirit, would you work mightily in this room? Would you work mightily in this gathering for the glory of your name? Lord, we plead with you to work. We plead with you to save. We plead with you to work all things for your glory and for our good. We plead with you to give us great calling and confidence to leave here trusting you. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, take it and turn to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here at Redeemer, uh, we, are working, we, we work our way through books of the Scripture, and, and today we are finishing our study through 2 Timothy. Uh, this book has been a great encouragement and a great hope to me, and it's, it's refreshed me and our church leaders in many ways for the ministry and the work that God has in front of us. And so this book that's called 2 Timothy is actually written by a man named Paul. Paul is a pastor and a church planter, starting churches all over uh, the known world at the time that he was writing. 
He's writing to a man named Timothy. Timothy was a disciple, uh, someone who Paul, a disciple of Paul, someone who Paul had mentored, and someone who Paul had left to pastor a church in a town called Ephesus. And so you have a, a letter from a pastor to a pastor about pastoring people. And this letter has just reinvigorated me and us with confidence that God indeed is building his kingdom, and God indeed is building his kingdom through people like us. We have a place in God's kingdom. He hasn't saved us to sit around and wait to die. And he hasn't saved us to sit around and just be who we've always been. He saved us to display his grace and his mercy and his power and to build his kingdom through us. And this passage that we're looking at today, which Spencer just read for us, really drives this point home. Um, I love all the names in there. Um, I've now, over the last two weeks, had four different people read um, all the names. And except for Mark, I don't think all, any one of them has been pronounced the same way by any of the four people. And um, a couple of them after the service have told me I was evil for asking them to read it. So, so I'm going to try to say them today as well. But, but, but by way of introduction to this sermon, let's go back a couple verses. Okay? So go back, look, look in chapter 4, verse 6. This is, what, this is the passage we looked at last week. So Paul writes, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, I don't often do this, but stop looking at your Bible. Look up for a minute. Look up. Now, think about this. How would Hollywood finish that story? It would fade to black. We would see Paul dead having given his life for the cause of Jesus, and it would say the end, and we would roll the credits. And then Hollywood would probably put some funny anecdote after the credits to make us forget that a man just died. Fair Jacob? Jacob's a movie maker. Okay. Now, those churches that make movies, how would they finish the story? Paul would say, I fought the fight, I've kept the faith, i finished my race, and then it would fade probably to Paul in a room by himself, with God, writing letters to people. The end. Invitation. That kind of thing, right? But the way that Paul ends this letter is actually so antithetical to human reason. He says, I finished the race. Like, the race is over. I fought the fight. The fight's over. I've kept the faith. Eternity with the Lord awaits me. Now, Timothy, get over here, bring Mark, we've got work to do, because I'm going to squeeze every ounce of faithfulness and ministry and kingdom building out of this life until God gives me no more breath. It's antithetical to how we think, but I would commend to you today that that's how God wants us to think. He wants us to leave here in about 45 minutes thinking, Jesus died for me. Jesus has saved me. Eternity will be joy in the presence of God. 
I don't know how long I have, but I am going to walk out of here and squeeze every ounce of faithfulness out of my life until the Lord takes me. I believe that buried beneath all the names and all the warnings and the callings for books and parchments and coats and a plea to get here before winter and a promise that God will never leave nor forsake His people is Paul's desire to bear as much fruit as humanly possible for the kingdom of God while he's on this earth. And I believe that God would want us to take up that mantle. Now I want to step away from this passage of Scripture for a second into church history. But by way of illustration, I want to show you how much we've benefited. Again, by God's sovereign providential leadership, but how much we've benefited by Paul's mentality to squeeze every last ounce of faithfulness out of his life. Okay, so this is, a, this is kind of a church history lesson informed by this passage. So the passage doesn't say it, but church history does, okay? You guys understand where I'm going with that? Okay, so Paul was in prison in Rome, and he was going to die there. Do you know who else was in prison at Rome? Peter. Peter, who had walked with Jesus. So Paul's in prison in Rome. Peter's in prison in Rome. Who's with Paul? A man named Luke. And then Paul says, Timothy, you come and you bring Mark with you. So do you see what happens because Paul didn't just say, hey, I'm going to die and go be with Jesus, blessed be his name. But he said, I'm going to bear as much fruit as I possibly can by the power of the Spirit. In Rome, you end up with Peter who walked with Jesus and Mark who along with Peter wrote the Gospel of Mark. And then Peter wrote First and Second Peter. And then Paul and along with, Peter, with Paul, Luke. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Think about it. The Spirit of God was at work in four men gathered in Rome at the same time to write for us what we now build our faith upon. Yes, God did it. Yes, God could have done it in a million different ways, but He did it through these men led by His Spirit to say, I will use my life to bear as much fruit for the kingdom of God as I possibly can. So by way of illustration, they bore fruit. God used them, and we benefit from it today. And what I want to compel you with today is we who have eternal hope in Christ are called to live in faith, hope, joy, Trust and fruitfulness, believing that God will build His kingdom through us. I'm not an apostle, and neither are you. I've never written Scripture, and you never will either. But God, likewise, will build His kingdom through people who've met Jesus. He has work for us to do, and I want us to believe that. That's what these last verses call us to. A man who says, I'm on my deathbed. And God is going to keep using me, and I'm not going to quit. So the point is, we who have this eternal hope in Christ, we live in continued faith, hope, trust, joy, and service 
for the work of building God's church and building God's kingdom. And so as I look at this passage, there's two ideas that scream off the page to kind of shape our, our living for God's kingdom. The two ideas are people and promise. People and promise. So if you're taking notes, the first is people. And this is what I think we see from all the names. God uses redeemed people to build his church. God uses redeemed people to build his church. I mean, any of you ever heard a pastor or a church leader make some joke like this? Remember, all jokes cut a little too close to home. Ministry would be great if it just wasn't for the people. And everybody that's been in ministry is like, yeah, that's right. You might say that about your workplace or your school or your family or your neighborhood. Like, it'd be great if it just wasn't for all the people. Well, yeah, because if you took all the people out of the church, all the sin would be gone. But what we forget is the gospel of Jesus is about people knowing Jesus. Jesus didn't come for the idea of redemption. He came for individuals who would know him and be redeemed and believe in him. And the work of the church and the work of the gospel is always about people meeting Jesus and then through those people, others meeting Jesus. That is how the kingdom is built. And so I believe that Paul is not trying to shame Demas for falling in love with the world and deserting him. I believe Paul is grieved about it. And I believe that Paul's not trying to shame Alexander the coppersmith for doing him great harm. I believe Paul is grieved about it, and Paul is genuinely warning Timothy, don't likewise be deceived. And I believe when Paul talks about Luke being with him, and he sends these greetings to Prisca and Aquila, and Onesiphorus, and Erastus, and and Trophimus, what he is saying is, I celebrate these brothers' faithfulness. I celebrate these sisters' faithfulness because the ministry that God has given me is always about God saving people and God using people to save other people and building His kingdom. And in the church world today... The church is losing this focus on people. Now, now hold on, hold on. The church loves bottoms in seats and dollars in offering plates. But Paul's focus is on souls who, for whom eternity hangs in the balance and souls in whom Jesus is working great works. And as the church, yes, the church is about God's glory and the church has to be focused on God and has to be focused on God's word and has to be focused on God's son. But if we forget that, the, the, that all of that is about people knowing God, we, we lose what is the church. The church is people who've been redeemed by Jesus. And in this, Paul is yes saying there's much work to be done, but the work is, is through people for people to know God. 
And so one of the great things for us to get our mind around, those of us that, that love the glory of God and love the grandeur of God and love the power of God and love the sovereignty of God and love the providence of God, is that God's sovereignty and the good of people, don't, they're not enemies, they're friends. And when God glorifies himself, it's to the good of his children. And when God keeps his word, it's to the good of his children. And so we can say we exist for the glory of God and for people to be ministered to at the same time and be very logically consistent. But the church of Jesus is not about growth. It's not about for the sake of growth. It's not about head counts. It's not about finance reports. It's not about buildings. It's not about parking lots. And all of you who walked across the street in the rain this morning are like, yeah, obviously, not about parking lots. It's not about modular buildings. It's about people meeting Jesus and us being the vehicles that God uses to get the gospel to others. There's a people-focusedness to the mind of Paul that we must latch our minds around. Not as an enemy of God-centeredness, but as the fruit of God-centeredness. Not as an enemy of the Word of God being supreme, but because the Word of God is supreme. So just a few takeaways from this point here. Number one, we can't forget the people element of ministry. We can't forget the people of ministry. I'm going to guess that most of you don't spend as much time reading and thinking about the mechanics of church as I do. And it's actually for, good for your soul. Like, just don't, okay? Just, just don't, don't do it. But friends, there is a fast-moving way for the church to remake itself to remake its purpose, to remake its calling, and it all centers around worldly success. Now, we could, we could shift out of that and go, so we only focus on God. Yes, God is central. But the work of the church is about individual people being met through a corporate witness of people to say our God is powerful and good and gracious and merciful and he saves and come and meet him with us. He is amazing. So we can't lose this people element of the work of the kingdom. Takeaway number two. We will grow, and I don't mean numerically, but in depth. We will grow in depth when we learn to see and celebrate the work of God in other people. We will grow in depth when we learn to see and celebrate the work of God in other people. I really think at the heart, each moment, we have the opportunity to be annoyed by others or to see and celebrate what God's doing. Or minimally to be moved toward prayer for what God could do in others. And so what I'm saying is I want us to take up Paul's vision not of that Demas, he left me. But Paul's vision of Demas, he's in love with the world and I'm, I'm worried for Demas' soul. I'm broken for Demas. Man, that's very different. And then when we see the work in others' lives, we celebrate it like crazy. Celebrate it like crazy. One of my uh, missionary 
friends in northern India would often say that when he was faced with depression and doubt, he would go to the Buddhist temple, I'm sorry, the Hindu temple and share the gospel. Anybody ever gone through that mindset? I'm filled with doubt and depression and don't want to get out of bed, so I'm going to go to the Hindu temple today. Anybody ever? Yeah, it's not how we normally think. And so I looked at him, I was like, why do you do that? He said, because when I walk up to a Hindu temple and speak of Jesus, and someone repents and believes, and their eyes are opened, that reminds me that if God can do that, he can deal with whatever's going on in my life. I walked up uh, this, this, just before this service, back there by the black tables, on a conversation about sharing the gospel uh, amongst Mormon people. And I guarantee you, when God brings salvation through that conversation, those people standing around that table today are going to go, what an amazingly powerful God it is that we serve. And I think when we stop seeing other people's issues and sin and brokenness and need for Jesus as something to look down our nose upon, but something to pray for healing and then celebrate the little victories that God brings, the more our faith in God will grow. And of course, love will flow out. But people are not the problem. People are the carriers of the work of the gospel. Takeaway number three. We will grow in depth when we see the kingdom built in joint labor for God's glory. We will grow in depth when we see the kingdom being built through our joint labor for God's glory. So this morning in the first service, we celebrated the baptism of Reese Miller. Reese is a young nine-year-old boy. I think Reese was one or two when his family moved to Hendersonville and started attending Redeemer. So... So why did Reese believe the gospel? Well, the correct theological answer is God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, opened his eyes and gave him faith. And God did that through human means. And and who are the human means in Reese's salvation? Well, sure, his parents. But everybody that's ever taught him, everybody that's ever prayed for him, everybody who's ever encouraged him, By the way, he was converted at VBS, so there were like 150 people working that week. Every one of you, right? Like, like the kingdom is not just built when one of us goes out on an island by ourselves and dares befriend our neighbor. By the way, let's go out on islands by ourselves and befriend our neighbor, but let's go through the prayers of 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 one another. Let's go through the encouragement of one another. Let's go through the help of one another. And as we do that, and as we see God working through all of us, we will grow in depth. So the future, I'm just going to, for the sake of argument, believe that God intends to build his kingdom through Redeemer Church. That's not going to happen through me alone. It's not going to happen through our elders alone. It's not going to happen through me and our elders and our deacons alone. It's not going to happen through me and our elders and our Sunday school teachers alone. It's not going to happen through me and our elders and our deacons and our Sunday school teachers and our community group leaders alone. It's going to happen when all of us believe that God wants to build his kingdom through all of us, and we join together to be a a force for the building of God's kingdom, for his glory in this city and to the ends of the earth. We will grow when we see our place in that. When you will grow when you see your place in that. Fourth, this is really important. 
as I've been talking so much about people, our fourth takeaway from this section is we do not place our trust in people. Our trust is in the Lord. If Paul had placed his trust in Demas, problem. If Paul had placed his trust in Crescens and Titus, problem. If Paul had placed his trust in Alexander, big problem. If Paul had placed his trust in Mark, problem. Right? Like we don't place our trust in people. Even though ministry is about reaching people and people celebrating the work of God, our trust is not in people. And you might say, Pastor, why do you say that? Because I know my heart. And I talk to a lot of you to know your hearts. And most of us either trust ourselves way too much or we find our security in the praise of men way too much. And the warning in this passage is find your security in the praise of the Lord above all else. So can I give you an uncomfortable test to take home this week? All in favor of an uncomfortable test? The next time something bad happens in your life this week, I'll just go ahead and say when something bad, meaning hurtful, frustrating, angering, whatever, happens in your life this week. I want you to count how many times your first step is toward the Lord in prayer and how many times your first step is toward your phone to send a text, Make a phone call, send a Marco Polo, send a Vox, send a Snapchat. Because ultimately what you're saying is the answer to my hardship is the praise of my friends. I believe in friends, I'm all for friends. But we got to flow through the Lord first. So we can't forget the people element. We grow to see and celebrate the work of God through people, we grow by seeing the kingdom built in our joint labor, and we do not place our trust in people. Our trust is in the Lord and his promises to never leave us or forsake us. And that leads to the second point, promise. Look at verse 16 with me. The main point of, of what's going on here is Paul says, God is faithful to God's word always. God is faithful to God's word Always. So look at verse 16. Paul says, In my first defense, no one came and stood by me and strengthened me. Every, every human failed him. All deserted me. I'm sorry, I, I misread the Bible there. Let's go back. In my first defense, no one came and stood by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. So Paul says, look, there has been a time in the recent days where I was completely failed by humans. No one spoke up for me. No one defended me. So I should have lost the battle in court. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. What Paul is saying is God, unlike people, is always faithful to his children. God is always faithful to his word, and God is always faithful to his promises. Therefore, we lean into the Lord. The hope of this passage is that God always defends his children. 
Now, a few things for us to get our mind around. Number one, God's defense is not always earthly vindication. But it will always include eternal vindication. So Paul says here, he got both earthly vindication, I wasn't killed, and he rests in eternal vindication. But if in that moment Caesar would have given him over to the lions or would have had his head cut off, while he didn't get earthly vindication, he would have received a glorious eternal vindication, which would have far outweighed writing this letter for week, so we could read it today. If we believe in eternal vindication, then there is no earthly circumstance that we have to fear. Second, when God gives earthly vindication, it's always filled with kingdom purpose. When God gives earthly vindication, it's always filled with kingdom purpose. Look, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Why? So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. There's a great scholarly debate about whether that means a real lion or is a metaphor for Caesar. I don't care. Either one of them could have killed him, right? And he says, I received earthly vindication for the purpose that more Gentiles would be more fully exposed to the message of the gospel. Now, Paul was a unique character in the history of the church. He was an apostle. And by the way, none of you are or ever will be apostles. Neither will I. Paul wrote the scripture. And by the way, none of us will ever write scripture. So we can cut through that. Yet, Paul's purpose in life was to be used of God for the gospel to reach the ends of the earth and the most separated and far and unclean from God people in all the world. And Paul says, I got earthly vindication for the purpose of the gospel reaching more and more people with more and more clarity so more and more people can enter the kingdom. And I don't care how reformed you are. I don't care how, view your, how high your view of God's sovereignty is. Mine is probably higher. And yet... God would love for the gospel to saturate all the way to the ends of the earth. And he would love for your neighbor who thinks he's a Christian and is so deceived he doesn't understand the gospel to more fully understand the gospel. So all of you do me a favor. Take a deep breath right now. God in this moment has given you earthly vindication that you don't deserve so that the gospel would reach the nations and the ends of the earth and those who are separated from him would know the gospel more fully. When we receive earthly vindication, it has a kingdom and church building purpose to it. And, and I, with Paul, call on you to believe that that purpose extends to us. Just like in verse Eight, when Paul says, Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also who have loved his appearing. I think we can say, and I was rescued so that the message might be more fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And that extends to us as well. And we can go forward 
in life, whether easy or hard, because we believe that God always keeps His promises to His people. And so that's the huge message is God always keeps His promises. Verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His kingdom. Do you hear what Paul's saying there? The Lord will always rescue His people. And, and, and friends, our culture is so afraid of death. We don't even call them funerals anymore. They're celebrations of life. But the person's dead. And I don't care what you call it. That, that's not the point. But, but there's something behind the point. We're so afraid of death. But if at the appearing we have nothing to fear because there's a crown of righteousness laid up for us and God's going to award it to all who are in Him, death is not an enemy. I love you guys, and I'd love to be your pastor for another week, but to be with Jesus would be so much better. No offense to anyone. I hope you love your life and being a part of Redeemer, but to be with Jesus is so much better. And if we believe that, we don't have to fear in this life. So I could have, I could have spent 35 minutes just reading promises, but I want to give you two. Psalm 33, verses 8 and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Do you hear that? God speaks, it comes to be. God commands and it stands firm. So if God vindicates His children, God will vindicate His children. And we have nothing to fear. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, which is quoting from 1 Chronicles, verses 28 through 20, which is quoting from a couple other places in the Old Testament. Paul says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, He there's God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So Christian, I call on you to believe the promise that the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you and that your faith in that promise would produce confidence that the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. There's nothing that man can do to me that God will not overcome when he eternally vindicates me. For the glory of his name. So all that fits back together. We follow Paul with great eternal hope, living in continued faith and trust in Jesus, seeking to use all of our life to build his kingdom because we know that God works through people to reach people, and because we know that God's promises stand for us if we are in Christ. So here at Redeemer, we believe that the Son of God 
came to earth. His name was Jesus. He lived a life of obedience to God and gave that life on a cross as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for sin and to purchase sinners back to God. And we believe that all who believe this message and receive this Christ and identify with him will become his children, will be redeemed, will be saved. God will make all things new in and through us and his eternal promises stand for all who stand in Christ. So the question today is, do I stand in Christ? In just a minute, we're going to take the Lord's Supper and you guys that are serving can go ahead and make your way up. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a meal that Jesus gave us. And we're going to take a piece of bread and a cup, juice. And this bread and this juice represent the body of Jesus offered for our salvation. The blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And we take this bread and we take this cup as a declaration. God is with me because I'm in Christ. Who do I fear? We take it as a declaration. I stand in Jesus. Friends, if you're here today and, and, and you're not a, a follower of Jesus, we would ask that you let this bread and cup pass because it's a profession of trust in Christ. But I would say to you that this day, this day God is calling out to you and you can, can respond in faith. We'd love to help you do that. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to anyone on the stage. Any one of these men who are serving uh, these elements would love to talk to you about what it looks like to know Christ and to be delivered by him. But if you're not in Christ, we would ask that you let the bread and the cup pass. And we invite everyone who has professed faith in Christ and made that faith known to the church to take this bread and take this cup as a declaration that Jesus is our Lord. So we're going to sing. These, these guys are going to pass out the bread and the cup, and I'll come back in a few minutes, and we'll take them together.